And welcome to Gleaming in the Geek, the road trip edition. I'm John Bonas, which is daily with me, Aaron Gleaming of TheAthletic.com. Where in the world is Johnny San Diego? John Bonas is in uh, Philadelphia. Yeah, the, the border of Center City and South Philadelphia right now. It's a little too specific for me, but okay. <laughs> so let's go with Philadelphia. Just Philadelphia. Right? Center City or City Center? Center City. Oh, I don't like they that call, they call their uh, They call their downtown Center City. Yeah. Is that like by the terminal market? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's the only place I know. That's where you've been. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I eat my pork sandwich once every (laughs) 10 years I go there. I think I did call that out in yesterday's story on Twitch Daily about nine things you must do if you come to the Twitch Phillies game. I I think I called out the Denix pork sandwich. Yeah. That was a late, late edition. I read that. John's Guide to Philadelphia. It was very (laughs) funny. It's very funny that things John... I would be no different. Believe me, it would just be like, here's the best Chinese food in Philadelphia. But yours was like, here's the bars that stay open late. Here's where you get a sandwich after hours. Yeah. And it was like, hey, here's an art museum if you're some kind of weirdo or something. But uh, yeah, John's in Philly. You were also in Detroit, which I'm going to blame you for that whole series, basically. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we, you're also going to blame me for the other night when you got lots of texts from the beat reporters. Yeah. I'm sitting at home. What was it? The first Wednesday? Wednesday uh, yes. Night? Wednesday night like 11 o'clock central time. And I get a text first from Dan and he said, uh, Hey, thanks, man. And I was like, <laughs> what? And then I got a text from doe and he's like, Hey, cheers, man. I appreciate it. And I'm like, uh. and then I, the one that really uh, got me was Betsy who doesn't drink alcohol <laughs> was like, Hey, thanks for the round. And I was like, no bonus bought everyone beers on the gleaming and the geek card is what happened there. And then you and got I'm one. Pretty, and then you got wait, one more. Yeah. And they, well, I got one from uh, Cody, uh, our Tigers writer, who I didn't even have in my phone. So I was like, well, now they're just picking up strays. Uh, <laughs> Did he identify card. himself? No. Perfect. Said, I'll read you the text. I'll read you all these. These are not. Uh, <laughs> it was, uh, hey, thanks for the drink. That's it. Just from uh, 806 area code, which I have no idea what that is. But uh, our Tigers writer, Cody, who's a great guy happily buy him a drink and then about eh, 15 minutes later uh dan texted and said hey thanks for the second round too really appreciate it <laughs> i've joked about this before but it's not really a joke john is a very generous man in general especially when it comes to buying drinks but there is no one in the history of the universe who becomes more generous at buying drinks than john bonus once that gleaming in the geek credit card comes out because <laughs> here's why he gets full credit for being nice. Yep. And only half pay. That's right. <laughs> and as an as a little bonus for bonus, uh, it hurts me a little bit too because I'm not there and I'm just paying for it and I'm cheap. But here's the best part about this story. I didn't have the gleaming of the geek credit card. Oh, you guys were just screwing with me. I I bought a round and I said I'll buy a second round, but uh, I don't have the gleaming of the geek credit card. But we need to make gleaming think he's paid. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, those Detroit alcohol prices are just going to wreck me. <laughs> so, Two rounds each, of- so I said, all of you need to text Gleeman thanking him, and we're going to do it the rest of the night. We're going to keep doing it. Yeah. <laughs> I just want you to all keep texting him every now and then. Like, I love that one. And, and I said, oh, and you, Cody, he's not going to know who you are. Here's his number. <laughs> yeah. It's good. 
it's a good it was funny uh <laughs> i feel better that i don't actually have to pay it although well, you I, know, you I didn't feel better today when it when it comes I, to honestly, the, it was just an oversight i'd left the gleaming of the geek credit card in the room yeah good you shouldn't <laughs> be able to travel with this thing that's dangerous john <laughs> you should only get the it should activate when i'm within 500 feet of you that's the only time it should really I'm going to have to see if there's a credit card service that does that. Yeah. Because <laughs> otherwise, I, I'm waiting we for We might the, have to get you chipped. Is that okay? Like yeah. like a dog? Microchipped? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm waiting for the day where I just walk into like a bar or a restaurant. And I go up there and, and I just see somebody. Hey, put that on Gleaming the Geek card. And I go, what? wait, what? And then I just see bonus like in the corner doing the doing the circular hand thing of like another round for everyone. Yeah. Like it doesn't even matter if I'm there. Yeah. And then at the end of the year, when we do our year end financial review, because we have an LLC, which (laughs) sounds absurd, but yeah. uh, And John sends me the spreadsheet and it's like, you know, expenses, a hundred dollars for hosting, you know, the podcast and, uh, you know, $25 (laughs) for this. And we went out to lunch a couple of times, $4,200 in uh, alcohol. And it's like, well, I haven't had a drink in a year. So, you know, but yeah, fine. I'll pay half that. But that's the price you pay to keep your frequent guests and Cody uh, happy. You know what I mean? Like, that's exactly right. We got to keep them. Keep em, we pay them to come on the show, which yeah. I'm very proud to say we do. Right. Not all most shows don't do that. I'm proud to say we're in a position to do that. Uh, and yeah, you buy them a drink in Detroit. And that's why they hang out with John, really. <laughs> you know, everyone likes to joke that they like John, but it really, I just that's right. It's mostly about the free tabs. It breaks out the credit card. Okay, and so, Wednesday night, we had lots of good reasons to drink. And yeah, frankly, and we, if we'd have gone out Thursday, and we had yeah. I picked up, we went out for dinner yesterday too. We'd have had lots of good reasons to drink then too. I'll be afraid when it you take some people to like Ocean Air back in town and <laughs> whip out the car. I can handle a few post game beers in Detroit. That's my <laughs> that's my price range. Yeah, the, we've talked about this. I feel like pretty much all season. Uh, but it, it's it's more it becomes increasingly frustrating where the when the stakes of the game and the stakes of the season are rising at this point. Right. But you know, since last we spoke, they swept the Arizona Diamondbacks at home. Yeah. I was there for those. And not to say Arizona is an impressive team; they're kind of in a free fall, but they're a five hundred ish team right. who have some star players. And you think, and coming off that sweep, they were four and a half up on Cleveland, and. Or were they five and a half up on Cleveland? They were they five, were five and, and a half, half up on Cleveland after the first game versus Detroit. Right, which they won. So they so go Tuesday. to Detroit for a four-game series, and they win the first one with an offensive explosion against a lefty. And you're thinking, wow, they're riding high now. They're up five and a half games, which was their biggest lead in the division since the end of 2019. Right. Cleveland was still struggling just to get to 500 or even get near 500. They were losing guys to injuries. Jose Ramirez is knocking out Tim Anderson, all that stuff. And you just think, but finally the twins are in position now to take advantage of the schedule gap between them and the the guardians start to put together, you know, multiple good series in a row, which we just haven't seen really all season. And instead they do what we joke. They do all the time, which is, I like to say, step on a rake. Right. Which is they go and lose three straight in Detroit, and it it was very reminiscent of about two weeks ago when they were on a pretty good stretch, and they get swept in Kansas City three in a row. Right. And it's like, how many times do you have to see this from the same team in really the same circumstances where it's not like they won eight or nine in a row? Right. They just put together like four consecutive good games at any point, and it's like, all right, that's all we need to to really see them 
you know, step way out in front of Cleveland and distance themselves. And then they just fall so flat and they just lay such an egg against, they went now since the all-star break, they're one in six against Kansas city and Detroit. <laughs> I mean, that's embarrassing. These are right. two teams. And for the whole season, I think they're four and seven against Detroit. I mean, this is not a good team. Kansas city is even worse, obviously, but it's just, it's this team gets criticized like before the bad things happen a lot, I feel like. Right. And then, then they live up to it. <laughs> right. And then we sit there and we go, oh, let's, you know, pump the brakes on that. And, you know, they're in good position and maybe let's see what they do with the rotation and blah, blah, blah. And then they just live up to, it's almost like they're trying to live up to the criticism in some right. of these cases. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and, and yet despite going one and six against two of the terrible teams uh, in baseball, and losing three straight in Detroit after winning the first one, they are three and a half games up in the division with 45 games to play. Their opponent, their only opponent, Cleveland, is still not even to 500 yet. Four games under 500. And is, you know, had made themselves worth it at the deadline, which we talked about last week and all this stuff. And it's just like it, it feels such like almost two separate teams because yeah. there's the team you right. watch. And the team that keeps falling flat and the team that cannot handle one ounce of success without backsliding two steps. Do you know what I mean? And right. then there's the team that you look at the standings or you look at, you know, the projected playoff odds and you go, oh, they're up three and a half games. They're 90 percent to make the playoffs. Right. And it's very it's becoming like my brain is like not it's like warped my brain in terms of <laughs> criticism and praise. Right. You know what I mean, like it's just so tricky to try to balance the reality of the situation they're in for the division and ultimately towards getting to the playoffs. Um, and, you know, realistically, they could be five games, eight games, 10 games better than they are right now. And their path to the playoffs, you know, they'd probably be 100% instead of 90%. Right. Right. But they were still going to end up with the three seed, most likely. And they were still going to play the last wild card. And, and yet, so it's hard to balance that reality. And it, by the way, when you watch Cleveland, it's even harder because it's like this team is not good. Right, like, right. I watched a lot of Cleveland, and that, and yet you watch the Twins, and it's like I can't imagine a more frustrating team. There's yeah. no f more frustrating way to be like three games above 500 for four months than to be like it's not even win one lose one win one lose one. No, it's like win four out of five get swept by the Royals. You know, yeah. win five out of six lose three in a row to Detroit, and it's like God, what a maddening combination from the same team. Right. No, it's, it's, uh, I was going to say, you know, it felt all season like it's been two steps forward, then two steps back. And now since the All-Star break, it feels like it's three steps forward and three steps back. Yeah. It's actually become more frustrating watching this team because they go on better winning streaks that make you start to believe more and more. And then they lay complete eggs versus teams that they absolutely should be beating up. And, you know, I mean, it started again facing a left-hander, and that was a good left-hander on Tuesday. It you know, uh, Wednesday's game, though, you know, Wednesday's game swung on uh, uh, 2.1 innings from a left-handed reliever, right? It was when Holton came in at the bottom of the sixth, got the last out, which was Kepler versus, you know, granted, a critical situation. I think bases might have been loaded, at least runners on first and third. They get Kepler by bringing in a left-hander. Okay, well, that happens, right? But then they just keep him in. And this is a this is a you know 
I don't want to say journeyman, but kind of a journeyman from uh, the Diamondbacks who ends up pitching the seventh and eighth inning. Then like after he gets out of the sixth, why not? Let's just keep him in there because he's a left-hander and they're facing the twins. Right. Uh, And then even yesterday, which, you know, only had one inning pitched by a left-hander, it was the highest leverage inning of the game. It was the seventh inning when it was one zero, they bring in the left-hander and let's, you know, again, just some mediocre left-handers got a, you know, four and a half ERA, five and a half ERA. He comes in, he shuts down the twins for a, a, a big inning. Like, it's it's the same uh, criticisms we've had seen before right. that the bats sometimes just go in a complete funk for you know days at a time. It's often precipitated by having left-handers. You know, close game. You know, you get to highish leverage innings and you end up giving a couple runs in the seventh because you know you don't have the enough arms in the bullpen. It's just been it's been frustrating. So yeah, it, it's I mean, the same stuff. It's the same stuff. I, no, nothing has seemed to have changed. I agree with that. And it also, you know, I'm like I was joking a minute ago how it's tough to kind of compartmentalize the bad play versus the good position to get into the playoffs. I think what you just said also adds to the I don't know, frustration or confusion or just being sick of it, like you like to say about players, freezer burn, which is I'm sick about talking about how they can't hit lefties. Right. Like, believe me, we're sick of it. But should we not talk about it? Like, I know people are like, well, you guys, we're going to talk later about how bad Joey Gallo is. I know people are sick of hearing that. But but it continues to go on. I know people are probably sick of hearing us say, oh, they're, you know, one or two short uh, in the bullpen. But it continues to be an issue. So we're going to continue to talk about it. With that said, though, they also got shut down by a righty. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yes. Which was also a very frustrating game. He has like oh. a zero point seven nine ERA now in two starts against the Twins, and like twelve <laughs> innings, and a you know five fifty ERA against everyone else. I th- actually think he's a decent youngish pitcher, so I'm not right. saying he's think he's a bum or anything. Right. But they got a tendency to make. I mean, righties and lefties at this well, point. They especially, had, I mean, they had a couple of golden opportunities, literally with guys on third base with one out, with Julian and Rhett Jeffers, who are the two guys you want up right right now in this thing at the plate, and both of them. I mean. I think Jeffers struck out on three pitches, maybe a fourth, maybe a fourth, maybe four pitches. And Julian also struck out. And uh, yeah. the inability, I mean, we talk a lot about how the negative aspect of a strikeout is exaggerated by right. most people. And I know people are watching this team <laughs> the, and Joey this, Gallo. But this group has made the most of them. Right. <laughs> there is a point at which you get so extreme, you know, right. the Joey Gallo point where you're just essentially making it impossible to be successful when you're striking out, you know, 45, 48% of the time, you're only giving yourself half of your plate appearances then to do something with. And he's struggling even within those, obviously, but then the, from a team wide perspective, you know, they're on pace, I think still to break the all time strikeout record. You know, there's a difference between saying, you know, don't get so caught up in strikeouts when they're, you know, seventh in the majors or something. Right. Right versus well they're literally going to strike out more than any team in the history of baseball well yeah that's that's an issue and so (laughs) but but where strikeouts do matter situationally and people tend to place too much emphasis on this and act like these are the scenarios that happen most often but these are the scenarios where it does matter is what you just described which is there's a runner on third base and literally putting the ball in play will most likely score that runner I mean, uh, Detroit didn't even have the infield in on both right. of those. Right. And just the inability to do that and the inability to even just put together competitive at bat. Like you said, it's not like 
it's a three, two count and they foul off two pitches and then take a borderline one for strike right. three. I mean, these are just not even competitive at bats. A lot of the time with a runner on third and, I don't know. It's that situational hitting and it's stylistically not right. what they're built to do. Well, and you don't but, and you don't want Rocco overplaying that either. Like you don't want him trying to have uh, Ryan Jeffers, who's the hottest hitter on the team right now, try to lay down a bunt or do a sacrifice or something. Although they have it's done a, that. It's, a, it's, a, it's probably played differently if it's, you know, Michael Taylor up there or Willie Castro but up there. Jeffers has done three of those this year. He was talking <laughs> oh, to us last week oh, that's right. about how proud he was to be him and Taylor are the two bunters. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, I didn't expect that. Honestly, nobody looking but at when me he's thought, in the middle of a 13 game hitting streak and you're like, right. oh, this is the guy that's tagging it all over. We got a right. chance to put up a crooked number against this guy. Let's not try to scrape by for one run. And, I agree. Uh, you know, and that's like I said, that's exactly who I wanted up in that situ- in that situation. And then it came around again and it was Julian up. And you're like, who did, by the way, take a borderline called third strike yeah. on that. Uh, there's a there's a weird there's almost like a refusal or an inability to recognize the spots where you don't have to be perfect, where you don't have to maximize your advantage, where it doesn't need to be a two to one, two, one or three, one count where you're going to get the best possible, you know, hitters pitch. You can just go up there and look for a strike and hit it hard somewhere. And they just seem to have so much inability or struggle so much to take that mentality, even in certain circumstances during the average game, they just seem to constantly be in the mode of I'll take all these borderline ones because I want to get two, one, three, one, and then they're going to throw me a meatball and then I'm going to crush it. Except a, they don't really crush meatballs. And then B half the time <laughs> guys like Correa and Julian, they take meatballs right down the right. middle. And yeah. I looked this up this morning, you know, they lead the majors in strikeouts. So it would stand to reason that they're going to lead the majors in swinging strikeouts and looking strikeouts and, you know, sure. any kind of strikeout you're going to do. But the numbers on looking strikeouts or called strikeouts, however right. you want to call them, uh, called strike three, are shocking. Like right. they've not only do they lead the majors in in looking strikeouts, they've taken forty more called strike threes than the next highest American League team, which is the Mariners. Okay, forty more, and seventy six more called third strikes than the average American League team. I mean, that is shocking. And and how many watching, are they at? What is that, 40? Is that 10% oh, more? Is that 5% more? Yeah, something like that, yeah. I mean, it's an absurd number. And they also yeah. lead in swinging strikeouts. That's equally you know, frustrating, right. obviously. But there's so many at-bats, and Correa is super guilty of this, which I wrote about yesterday. We could talk about that later, maybe. Uh, I kind of went stat by stat through his right. horrible season and tried to figure out where it's coming from. Uh, but, but I mean, there were a couple Buxton ones before he went on the IL that shocked people where right. he just went up there and took three pitches down the middle and went and sat down. Correa seems obsessed with getting into a hitter's count and, and laying off borderline pitches. And he's constantly upset with the umpire like he was in Detroit. There were multiple uh, where he's, you know, he's just scoffing at the umpire. And yet, yeah, he'll just take a 2-2 pitch right down the gut. Uh, and or swing by the way at a pitch in the other batter's box on three two or something like that. And so, it's it's really strange to watch a team that seems and this has been a Rocco Baldelli complaint all season seems right. incapable of in game adjustments. Like once a guy like Reese Olson gets through two scoreless, you can almost go, oh here we go again. They their plan against right. this guy wasn't the right plan. Yep, we recognize that in the second or third inning. 
Yep. Detroit is now leaning into their successes on this and, and you know, throwing even more sliders or throwing even right. more whatever it is. Right. And the twins just go up there batter after batter with the exact same plan and take the exact same strikes. And it's just it's just mind numbing to watch, particularly when, you know, then once every five games, they just explode for nine right. runs and you go. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. What what is this? Like, how is this possible? And I, I really you know, it's it's so deep into the season and like you pointed out these issues this issue is among you know a handful of issues that have been season long issues truly right. from day 1 yeah and I, I can't sit here and say there's been any progress made really i mean they're hitting better than they did in the first half sure in I, part I, think, because, I think i think i think on monday's game they said that this team is leading the or leading the majors in runs scored since the all-star break well that ain't true now obviously i can't i can't believe that would be they've been shut out twice since later, then. Right? Exactly. but even that the fact that that could still be true, I'm sure they're still right. in the top three, probably in the second half, and yet you've been shut out in two of the last three games. Right. Kind of speaks to what we've talked about all season, mm-hmm. which is the average or the total in terms of runs does not represent what this offense has actually provided uh, right. in terms of run support. Because if you score nine and then you score zero, you can only go one and one in those games at best, basically. Right. And yes, you're averaging four and a half runs per game, but you're never going to win both of those games. And that's, you know, an extreme version of what we've seen all season, which they'll explode for 12 runs. Right. And you'll go, all right, here we go. And then they'll have a three game stretch where they score four runs. And it's right. just like, and, you know, yesterday was such a perfect example. Kenta Maeda was great yet again, has been yes. great right. pretty much every start since coming off the IL. Right. He's got a low two ERA. He's got a ton of strikeouts in, you know, about 50 innings, something like that. And he made literally one bad pitch. Yep. And it got hit a billion feet by Riley Green, who's like the only really good hitter in Detroit's lineup. Right. And it's going to be a, Huge pain in the ass for the next yes, 10 he years is. Yeah. in the AL Central. He's, I mean, impressive. he's just a phenomenal player. Uh, he gives up a solo home run in the sixth inning, and then that's it. You get a loss for that. You made right. literally one bad pitch yeah. in an otherwise. And that's, again, an extreme version. But we've seen that play out constantly where guys will go six innings and they'll allow two runs or six and two thirds and you allow three runs. And in, in a normal circumstance, after these games, you'd be talking about how good the starting pitching was yet again. Right. But when the lineup scores zero or one or two runs, it's like, well, Maeda, I guess he shouldn't have made that one bad pitch. Right. And that's just an impossible, uh, you know, kind of expectation to hold over a pitching staff, particularly when the rotation is, you know, showing some signs of, of leaking oil a little yeah. bit. Yeah, right. You know, a couple I mean, of the guys. That's right. Um, since we'll do our, our first uh, ad here in a second, but since the last free show, they put Buxton back on the I.L., they claimed Jordan Luplo off waivers to replace him on the roster. And they transferred Brock Stewart to the 60-day IL, which means he won't be back before August 26th, which was unlikely anyway. And then they sent down Giovanni Moran. So that's just right. sort of state of the roster. We'll talk about some of that stuff. Uh, but first, like that segue, John? No, <laughs> sure. Let's talk about uh, Harry's Razors. Uh, I'm uh, fortunate enough to be uh, in my travel case, my uh, Harry's Razors. Uh, razor. And the reason I have a, a good one in my travel case is because about uh, a couple months ago, they came out with this new uh, craft uh, handle set of Harry's razors. And I said, that looks cooler than the one I have. And it's still cheap because everything at Harry's is, uh, is very affordable. And uh, so I grabbed it and then I threw my old one into my travel bag. And it's, uh, uh, and I mean, and now I've got, you know, 
I've got all the convenience with Harry's razors, whether I travel or whether I'm at home. And I have it, uh, which and the, those in, in, uh, conveniences include things like, oh, it gets mailed to me. So uh, when I never have to run out of razors and, uh, oh, they're half price. They're two Here's bucks. what you get in the uh, in that craft handle travel right. set. You get the craft handle blade or the razor itself with has a flat, five blade German engineered razor cartridge. You get the <laughs> shaving gel and then you get, like you said, the travel cover. So you can take it. Uh, and right. that has a seventeen dollar retail, and you can get it for ten dollars by That's going right. to Harry's dot com slash Gleeman. That's H A R R Y S. Harry's dot com slash Gleeman to elevate your shave with the latest and greatest in Harry's razor handle lineup today. Uh, our next sponsor, <laughs> and then the is... other thing, the other thing that happens when we uh, come home from these trips is we have no food in the house. Uh, so what we also do on that is we. Uh, we schedule a HelloFresh delivery shipment to be showing up the day after we get home. So like, yeah, the day we get home, we'll order pizza or something like that. But the next morning, HelloFresh shows up with their assortment of meals. And suddenly we are good to go for the next week. Chrissy doesn't have to worry about when she's going to the grocery store. Everything is all kind of planned out for us. And of course, HelloFresh has everything, you know, bagged and ready for you to go. Like you got here, you're going to have a, Hamburger with uh, candied carrots on the side. And in that bag is all the things that you need to make that hamburger with a side of candied carrots or whatever, including the carrots pre-portioned. Yes. It's all portioned out. It's all fresh ingredients portioned out. And then even for doofuses like me who really can't cook, there's a recipe, but it's such a step-by-step with pictures, which helps. Yes. Uh, So that whether you kind of know what you're doing, like John and Chrissy, or you don't know at all what you're doing, like Aaron and Becky, uh, (laughs) we've used HelloFresh and we've come up with uh, Instagrammable meals, even though we really have no ability to do that on our own. Uh, If you go to HelloFresh.com slash 50 Gleeman, that's 5-0 Gleeman, uh, and use the code 50 Gleeman, you get 50% off. 5-0. Yeah, 5-0. 50% off. Uh, yeah, not O. <laughs> five zero. Right, okay, You're right. right. Yeah, yeah. I have faith in our audience. For <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, but the reason it's 50 Gleeman is you get 50% off plus free shipping. So that's HelloFresh.com slash 50 Gleeman, five zero, uh, 50 Gleeman to get 50% off plus free shipping. It, it's uh, HelloFresh. It's America's number one meal kit. Okay. Um. I don't know. You want to talk lineup first? I guess there's a bunch <laughs> of stuff lineup wise. We sort of talked about it already. I mean, lineup but... is the topic because the team isn't hitting. So let's start with lineup and then we'll get to the Solano. They're still sort of waiting on, you know, what the, the end game is here with his knee injury. It looked like an ankle injury at first, but he, he had an awkward kind of sliding back into first base on a play. Looked terrible. Yeah, it looked bad. And they sent him for an MRI right away. And I'm thinking, oh, no, it's a torn whatever. Right. Um, and I, I honestly did not think I'd be sitting here in mid-August being like, they can't afford to lose Donovan <laughs> Solano, but that's where we're at. I mean, he's right. played well. They haven't hit well. They haven't right. hit well right-handed. Yeah, he's that's one right. of their few guys that have been Well, as soon as he left the lineup is when the, the slump started, by the way. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, but he appears to have avoided a substantial injury, but... They, you know, he hasn't played since then, obviously. He remains right. on the active roster. I think probably tonight's going to be the do or die because they tend to, because you can only backdate um, IL stints three days now, you used to right. be able to backdate them seven. 
I want to say back in the day, but you can only do three. And so that provides sort of a decision point. A lot of the times with the twins, we've seen it with Kepler. We've seen it with Buxton. We've seen it with other players where you let it linger for two or three days. And then on that third day, when you can, after that third day, when you can no longer backdate it and have them return, you know, in seven more days instead of 10 more days, (laughs) that tends to be the point where they're like, all right, it's do or die here. So I think we're probably going to see that with Solano certainly during this this Philly series, but they can't really afford to lose them. The other thing, though, is, you know, from in terms of right-handed hitting infielders, right. Royce Lewis is rehabbing at AAA. He's played twice. He homered in his first game. He's playing third base so far. It's fun. He's playing right next to Brooks Lee. Yeah. He's playing shortstop. Uh, although it should be noted that Lewis played one rehab game, hit a homer, got a scheduled day off the next day just because they're bringing him back slowly. And when he got the scheduled day off, Brooks Lee started at third base, ah, uh, which is only the second career game he's played at third base in the minors. The previous one was at double A uh, when Lewis was rehabbing with them <laughs> and he okay. played third base okay. uh, for earlier in the season. Uh, so so they're taking this third base thing seriously. <laughs> yeah, they're prepping everybody for third base. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, I think they even if Solano goes on the IL tonight, let's say. Right. Um, which will hopefully be a minimum-ish stay. I mean, I, I'm hopeful he stays on the active roster. It's just we've seen this, we've seen this story before. Uh, I don't know that they would let that, you know, alter their plan for Lewis's rehab necessarily. Uh, especially with an oblique injury, it's not just a matter of getting at bats for Lewis. It's more right. a matter of having him swing a bunch to see right. if his core muscles and this oblique muscle can can kind of handle it or if there's another setback here or whatever. But you could potentially, if you were going to put Solano on the I.L., you could potentially just activate Lewis, and that's how you replace him on the roster. I mean, they're sort of limited. Jose Miranda is still not ready. Obviously, right. Kirilov is still not ready. Buxton is still not ready. There just aren't a lot of, you know, we talked uh, on the Patreon podcast about you could just, call up someone like Kyle Garlick or Chris Williams, who's a more traditional first base, you know, righty bat. Kyle Garlick has been playing some first base. He can play the outfield, obviously, too. They could do that. That would require a 40-man roster move, but that's doable. Uh, But just in general, you know, hopefully Solano doesn't need to go on the I.L., but if he does, they're just in such a weird position now roster-wise where the easiest (laughs) to play position well, I don't know. I don't know about easiest to play, but the, the position at the bottom of the defensive spectrum, right. which yeah. is first base, right? Where the twins have thrown Louisa Rise and Miguel Sano and just, you know, in season, they've put guys there and said, right. just learned it on the fly. And it's for the most part gone fine, really. I mean, uh, that's going to be the spot where they have the fewest like playable options, options. right? In yeah. part because the guys keep getting hurt, obviously, with Kirloff and Solano, et cetera. In part because Joey Gallo, who you would coming into the season, they were like, well, he'll just play first base. Right. He's fine defensively, obviously, but yes. he just has been so bad offensively that that doesn't really help you that much and certainly doesn't help you against lefties. But then the other thing is that for whatever reason, they have refused to use first base kind of incorporated into the defensive flexibility of all these guys like Ed right. Julian. I've no, I've hammered this point home, but very oddly has not played any first base. Right. Uh, even guys like Larnick or Walner, these six foot four, six foot five, slow footed, you know, big corner outfielders have not played any first base. Right. And so you're now down to like Gallo, 
and Luplo has played some first base. By the way, the only reason they're comfortable playing Luplo at first base is because the Tampa Bay Rays, his right. previous team, just gave him a bunch of reps. Like at first 17 base. starts there. Yeah, right, when he was ago, like 27 right. years old, which is something the Twins are refusing to do with other similar players. But right. anyway, um, and so I wonder how they will handle that. I think it's a very weird situation to have too many infielders and too many corner outfielders, but not enough first basemen. Like logically that you very rarely run into that just because you would say to some of those guys, okay, you're playing first base now. And maybe they will ultimately come to that. I mean, I just, if, if Lewis is back, you can use the DH spot until Buxton is back. But then what are the, again, this is probably a problem that will never happen. I guess like, why am I we'll cart see. before the horse? <laughs> right. This right. idea that once Kirilov's back and Buxton's back and <laughs> Lewis right. is back, oh, that'll yeah. never happen. But, right. um, but, you know, but I will tell I will tell you as somebody who ran into a lot of Twins fans after the Detroit game yesterday, right? Yeah, uh, you know people want to talk about is there any hope of them doing anything in the playoffs? And you know after a loss like yesterday's, nobody thinks there's any chance of them doing anything in the playoffs. Fair enough, yeah, right? Of course. Uh, but then they say, then you know a, a beer or so in, you know it's like yeah, but you know Lewis is coming back and <laughs> Kirilov yeah. could be coming back. And, I mean it's true. Buxton comes back healthier after this extended rest. And, yeah. You know, I mean it is one of those things where it, it's similar to the highs and lows we talked about sort of the first segment here, right? That it, it, you still you still sit there and look, you know, and say two months from now or a month and a half from now this team could be you know, a lot healthier and a lot different than it is right now, except that you keep waiting to see the upward trend, right? That That's why we get so right. excited about the there, upward trend, right? I feel like there are two problems with that premise, <laughs> which I agree with you. I mean, we talked about a month ago, I say, for about we, half we talked the show, about this maybe, in May and June. Right, about the <laughs> yeah. idea of, yes, you can dr- judge the current product and you can judge relative to how they're playing and relative to their playoff chances and all that stuff. That's obvious. But, you know, with guys like, Kir- yeah, that was right when like Kirilov was coming back <laughs> yeah, and it's like, yeah. well, let's, you know, the goal is to get him healthy so that the lineup or the team you put out there for game one of a playoff series can be and often is vastly right. different than the one you put on an opening day or even yep. June 1st or even August or even September 1st. Right. And the goal is how can we sort of, like you just said, kind of build towards this. But the problem there is. A, there's been really no progress on field right. that you can point to right. necessarily. I mean, they've been and, and when you do see progress, it's immediately you see right. the regression as well. B, within that, you know, Buxton's hurt, Kirilov's hurt, Solano might be hurt, Royce Lewis still hasn't come. Like, there's still a ton of injuries involved here, and some of them, like Kirilov, is hardly guaranteed to be healthy enough to be in the game one lineup, let alone right. be healthy enough to return and get some reps and actually build back up to that. But then the, here's the other thing I'll say. You know, pitching is part of that too. Yeah. And right. the idea you can have a really good final numbers for your rotation, and the twins will. I mean, they're going to end up as one of the five best rotations in baseball almost surely at the end of the season. Except Joe Ryan now is not in a position to be penciled in for a playoff start right. at the moment. Yep. Bailey Ober is leaking oil all over the place, which we'll right. talk about in a minute. And so now it's like, well, okay, the same. I guess optimism that you could have placed on the the lackluster lineup and said, look, yeah, it's not great now, but if they can put out what they really want to put out there lineup wise for game one of a playoff series, it can be formidable. And yeah, sure. Right. But the flip side is, well, you know, we spent 
everybody spends time of who's going to be the three playoff starters. Yeah. They have so many options. I don't know if they have so many options at the moment. A lot can change, especially on the pitching front. Over well, I mean, the next we said the six same weeks. thing about the same time last year. You know, we were getting out of the trade deadline. We're like, listen, they've got all the pieces in place now. And then they immediately get hit by injury. Or you, or you start right. wish casting for, uh, you know, uh, this reliever is going to come back or, you know, this left-handed, we're going to get back that right-handed bat or something like that. And then suddenly Donovan Solano goes down. You're like, hold it. Right. <laughs> That's right. It well, goes both ways, actually, the last two months of the year. And if you with the Twins, it actually doesn't even necessarily go both ways. It just <laughs> it goes, goes like, no ways. <laughs> it goes, it's a uh, no way street. <laughs> First, nobody's no city planner has ever invented that, but it's a no way street. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, with pitching, especially, you know, the greatest pitching staff in the world, it doesn't do right. you any good if they all are hurt by September or they're all, right. you know, just struggling by September or whatever. And I'm not saying the twins are a mess in that regard, but a couple of their guys that they were counting on to to be in this mix are are showing signs of wearing down or are injured currently, and you're still counting on Maeda to make it through the next six weeks and all that. But the, yeah. You know, and like I said, Kirloff's not close to returning. Buxton doesn't sound imminent to return, and he's got his own issues even when he does return. Right. Now yep. you have Solano, which is a potential worry. Um, you know, on one hand, with like Buxton, there's no reason to rush him back at the moment. Not that right. that is ever really a possibility for him, but there's no reason <laughs> to rush him back when you're basically cycling Julian Walner and Jeffers through the DH spot, and they've all been yeah. pretty damn good. I mean, they certainly right. out-hit buxton for the, yep. this year um but it, and that sort of goes into something we've talked a, a decent amount about all season and is really i feel like coming to a head with with gallo and with buxton and even with polanco to some extent once lewis comes back which is how much are they going to continue to kind of give the benefit of the defer defer to, to the yeah, veterans yeah, yeah. and I wouldn't have said that was really their MO in past years or just in general as a front office uh, because they've certainly incorporated plenty of young bats. But if you right. think about this year, I mean, here here's a crazy stat. They're five highest OPS plus this year among guys who have, you know, more than 100 at bats or whatever are Jeffers, who's 26 years old, right. Walner, who's 25, Julian, who's 24, Royce Lewis, who's 24, and Kirloff, who's 25. I think those are the five youngest guys on the team. They've been the five best hitters right. on the team. Yeah. And yet you look that's at it. That's super encouraging, right? Yes. Long term, <laughs> that's encouraging. Right. But right. here's the question I have within that. Jeffers started the season in a backup role. Right. Had to fight his way into a timeshare by out hitting Christian Vasquez by like 300 points of OPS. And, and even now right. is, you know, still starting about half the time behind the plate and getting some DH at bats mixed in. Right. Uh, Walner. I mean, we've spent endless time <laughs> right. talking about why can't Walner get a shot. Now he's in the lineup and they're talking, you know, Baldelli loves him. Right. But, you know, for the past four months, it's the only shot he's gotten when nine guys got injured and then he immediately gets sent down. Julian only really got an extended look because Polanco went down. Right. Uh, they sent him up and down a couple times. And now Royce Lewis is coming back and it's kind of unclear where he's going to go. And so my question is, like, maybe this is silly to say without the injuries, because th with the twins, there's always going to be injuries, but <laughs> without the injuries, would we be viewing their willingness to kind of turn this lineup over to these young players who have ultimately been very successful and productive and have carried them uh, for long stretches without the injuries? Would a lot of these guys just be at triple a right now? And we'd be like, man, the lineup kind of stinks and they have all these good bats at triple a. So are we kind of giving them credit 
for incorporating all this young, this wave of young talent, which is done, which is thrived. Yeah. When really their hand was kind of forced in that regard. And they're still sort of hesitant in some cases to do it. But so that's why from this point forward, especially once Lewis comes back, I'm very curious to see what is the timeshare behind the plate. Right. Are they willing to just say, look, I know we owe Vasquez 30 mil and he hasn't been terrible lately by any means, but no, we can. Jeffers is the better player right now, obviously. Right. And might be on both sides of the ball. He's certainly the much better hitter. Right. You know, Walner cannot be removed from the lineup at this point. Julian, to me, cannot be removed from the lineup at this point. You know, they're going to incorporate Royce Lewis, hopefully. Royce Lewis, the question is, is he going to play over Polanco some days? Or is Polanco going to force him or Julian to the right. bench? Polanco has not looked good at all. No. Uh, offensively or defensively since coming off the aisle. And so whether it's Gallo and the cornerbacks, whether it's Polanco in the infielders, whether it's Vasquez versus Jeffers behind the plate, I am very curious to see how willing they are to not, not ignore the, the veteranness and all that, but to say these young guys are our best players right now. And they have been yeah. when given a chance for months, are we really going to, you know, live or die? Are we really going to sink or swim with you know Vasquez and Gallo and Polanco playing over Julian and and uh, honestly Lewis, I I, I think they're at the point where they recognize man. they don't really have a choice, right? Where, like you said, they can't send Julian down. They're not going to cut his playing time. They're not going to. I mean, not, not. I mean, you still won't see him versus lefties on a regular sure. basis, right? But he's going to be in the lineup versus right-handers, right? Um. Or or if they do cut his playing time, they're also going to be cutting Polanco's playing time. Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah, like I mean, it, it, it feels to me like it's not going to be any more than a a share situation, a 50-50 share situation. Whoever's, you know, you're going to get some guys with a, a days off or something, but they're just in a race right now. And you know, you can futz around with that and wait for the veterans to come back in April and May and June. I will be shocked if right. this organization doesn't, but in August and September, their attitude is not, listen, we need to score some runs. And these are the guys scoring runs and you're not scoring runs. So will you be shocked? You're saying, I agree with every ounce of what you're saying right now. We are a hundred percent on the same page, which rarely happens, but it does sound more like wish fulfillment. It's, it no. sounds like what you yeah. and I would do. Yeah. Which, yes, that is what I would do. But I don't know. Would you genuinely be shocked if Joey Gallo continues to play over fill oh, in the blank? No, or Joey if- Gallo's outside the conversation in my mind. I, 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 oh, I will, I will be shocked if Joey Gallo continues to like when they have a competent first baseman back here. I, I think Gallo's the, I think Gallo's head is on the chopping block at this point. But I thought, but I, to be fair, I've thought that for a month. Well, this is what I'm you know, saying. Right, we yeah, can right, we can right. say but, these but, things, but but there's been enough injuries. There have been things like the Kirilov injury or the Solano injury or something like that that makes it a little bit more, you know, a little bit more uh, palatable to still keep Gallo on the roster someplace, right? Well, but that's kind of what I'm saying is that a lot of their decisions have been driven by these sort of the decision gets made for you because of right. roster yeah. availability well, or injury true. availability. My point with Gallo at this point is he can just be cut and <laughs> find somebody who's better. It's not Larnick or Chris right. Williams or Garlic or whoever. Yeah. Uh, he's been so bad now for three, four months. Like it doesn't need to be in reaction to something. Right. Uh, you know, Vasquez, 
I'm not saying he's a useless player, but you know, you're saying, well, April, May, June, it's one thing. Well, we're in mid-August and he continues to play half the time. I mean, there's no objective way to say he's deserves as much playing time as Ryan Jeffers at this stage. And so that's kind of what I'm getting to. And then I really think it will come to a head. And again, this may all be moot because the odds are somebody will get hurt right right, when someone comes back or whatever it is. But I guess with the infield, you know, you can use Julian at DH, certainly. Right. And then you can play Polanco at second and Lewis at third. But they're also going to want to use Jeffers at DH. They're going to want to use Walner at DH. And so my question is more, are there going to be games, you know, against a righty, let's say, that you're going to sit Royce Lewis to play Jorge Polanco, even though Jorge Polanco has not performed to the level of deserving that consideration for quite a while now and is probably not as good defensively at third either. Are there going to be games if and when Buxton comes back where he's going to play over somebody who would be a better DH option because he's Byron Buxton? Yeah. Are there going to be games down the stretch where Vasquez is starting and you're saying, why isn't it Jeffers here? And right. individually, you can make arguments on both sides, but there's like three or four of these spots now that are in play, assuming guys come back from injury. Again, this might be a moot point where you're like, we keep saying you could probably build a whole show full of clips of us going, well, it's just April. Well, it's just <laughs> right, May. Yeah, yeah, right, well, right. It's, well, now it's mid-August. Yeah. So right. there's no waiting. It's either the decision gets made now or it doesn't. So when Lewis comes back, which I would expect to happen, let's say, in the next week, I mean, it could happen right now, but within the next week, if and when Buxton comes back, certainly if and when Kirloff comes back, they're going to have too many bats for the spots, and yet the offense itself is not particularly great, which means you're not doing a good job of kind of deploying those bats or divvying up the playing time uh, among those bats. And so that's one of the biggest questions I have for them. And I'm not, yeah, I, mean, I don't I mean, want to sit it, here and, and criticize them before they've actually done that. Sure, sure, sure. Certainly their actions through the first, you know, four and a half months suggest that they're giving a lot of weight to what they thought would happen coming into the season and for veteranness, as opposed to what has actually happened in the season, you know, with underperforming veterans versus overperforming or just good performing rookies. And to me, that would be a a tremendous shame if you were to not, you know, maximize this team, especially offensively, when all the good young guys that you're counting on for the future have pretty much all stepped up every time you've given them even a sliver of an opportunity. And almost all of the veteran guys that you brought in to be good just haven't been good. I think your point's a good one in that, you know, in almost all of these positions, for instance, Jeffers and uh, Vasquez, but now we can we can look ent- entirely around the infield at almost all of them, that there's going to be, you know, it, it's not just this guy's going to be there full time or this guy's going to be there full time, right? It's a, it's a, it's a knob that you can turn, yeah, right? It's a dial. Yeah. It's a dial, right? And, you know, it can be a, uh, you know, it, I would not be surprised if we spend the next, six, seven weeks of the uh, regular season, wishing that knob was turned a little bit more towards a rookie right? That's versus veteran. You know what I mean? Like, not a lot, <laughs> but uh, there's going to be a couple different times when, when things go bad, we're going to be like, maybe that knob should have been turned a little bit more towards rookie. Like maybe it should have been just twisted to another 10th of a 10th of a spot there. You know, maybe that, yeah. that Tuesday start should have gone to uh 
or that this the seventh start of the week should have gone to Jeffers instead of Vasquez, you know, something right. like that. Yeah, I, I think I that's a good that. way to to say it. And I mean, yeah, I'm I'm not calling for these guys to get dropped from the roster, although in Gallo's case, I probably <laughs> yes. will be. But, but yeah, that is what I'm saying. Is I'm saying just when it's a coin flip in your head, right. maybe err on the side of well, these young guys have been pretty good, and these veterans have been pretty pretty mediocre or bad. And I just I'm but, not sure that I believe that's how they'll. Uh, turn that dial you know i would love to see it and right now it's not that big of a deal because they have a lot of flexibility because you you say the big question is gonna be when lewis comes back and i think that's true that is gonna we're gonna see something we're gonna see that's gonna be one of the but the real one is gonna be when buxton comes right i agree right because because once buxton comes back you know you can't give jeffers any well are you still gonna give jeffers some spots at dh and still have vasquez there but that means sitting buxton you know, or are you going? You know, are you going to? Uh, you're, you know, you have Julian or Walner not playing DH right. and or not playing. Right. It, uh, it helps know. even when Lewis comes back. If they have the DH spot open, you can alleviate a lot of this pressure, or a lot of this you know dial turning just with the DH spot. But yeah, if and when Buxton comes back, right, that removes that from the equation, and then Buxton himself is sort of precisely what we're we're right. debating here, which is. Yeah, it seems absurd on opening day. If you were to say they're going to be in mid-August, they'll be in first place. Uh, you're not going to want to play Byron Buxton some days. Right. Yeah. But that's sort of what I'm saying is they need to. There seems like there's a lack of we talked about the hitters not making adjustments mid-game. I would argue that the front office has not made adjustments mid-season. Uh, they literally didn't trade for anybody at the trade deadline, but they they seem so entrenched in the notion that the decisions we made coming into the season have to still be the correct decisions. And in some cases there's their patience slash stubbornness with Pagan and, and Kepler have been pretty, pretty valuable and and they've been right. Um, The other day I said to Derek Falvey, you let me know whenever you're ready, you can take your victory lap and I will eat crow and we can turn that into an article or a podcast. <laughs> and he said, let's wait a little bit. And then that night, uh, I think Emilio gave up the tying runs or something. So I thought that was good, but I've offered that opportunity to him. This is right. me eating crow. Um, you know, yeah. let's see how it plays out, obviously. But I, I just, I worry with Gallo and with Vasquez and with Buxton and with some of these other decision points, if they're just still grasping or grabbing to the idea of, the team we rolled out there on opening day was the right team with the right roles. And no yeah. matter what's happened in the last four months, we're still kind of sticking to that. So I would love to be wrong. Maybe I will be wrong. Uh, obviously, Correa is a big part of that. I think we should talk a little bit about Correa more specifically. But first, this is my new segue that I just keep doing. <laughs> but, but first, first let's talk about Rotowire and football you season are, coming uh, up here. Surely many of the people listening to this watched uh, the Vikings preseason last night. And you are preparing did, for your. Did you, Aaron Clayman? Yeah, although I fell asleep, like in the. I'm an old man now. I did but not. I was on a flight, so yeah. I watched a little just to hear my guy PA. Uh, <laughs> but it is fun to it is fun to start uh, dreaming towards the football season. Uh, we've got some tailgates scheduled and some other things like that. We're already uh, looking at tickets and such. Uh, and but you're also, you're going to have a lot of drafts, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, so we, we, Some people. That are is doing... one of the things that we have also had. We, uh, who's going to be the commissioner for our football team this year? For our football league this year, we had. A... So, here's an opportunity. If you have fantasy football drafts coming up, you can try the Gleeman and the Geek free trial at RotoWire, yeah. which is RotoWire.com/Gleeman. And when we see say free trial, let me tell you, it's a real free trial. They won't even ask you for your credit card. Um. 
it's not one of those seven days free and that it charges you a thousand dollars or something right. like that. Yeah, right. uh, because here's they're so confident, and John and I have both used them for a long time. Yes, they're so confident that you will like the product that they're willing to let you use it for free, and you can draft all your teams if you want. That's not you're not tricking them. They're letting you do that because they're confident that you'll realize what a superior product it is, not just for fantasy football, but for fantasy baseball and just baseball in general. I use it all the time. They're playing right. news to go look up somebody's injury history or transaction history or whatever. And player news notes are invaluable because they keep an entire database where you can essentially go back through a guy's entire career and look up every bit of news that was right. ever posted about him. And so and then, whether and you, you wanted it, it, then you can, it, all of the news on all the players is updated all the time. They are, that which supplies people like CBS Sportsline or something, their player news, right? So yeah, I, I can guarantee you one of the things that the people who win your league love is when you show up at the draft with like a magazine from January yeah. that says, here's the top quarterback or something like that. Rotoware, you've got the up-to-the-date information on, oh, this guy's been hurt or this guy just dropped in the depth chart. You do not want to get him. He is not worth what you thought he was. And all that stuff is updated like day by day by day. You're going to be the most prepared person on the draft. Fully customizable cheat sheets. Yes. You can customize it to your league settings and all that. Right. So just go to rotowire.com slash Gleeman for your totally free trial. Uh, and then last but not least, Game Time, which is the Game Time app. We've talked about this before. The idea behind Game Time <laughs> is... Hard to find tickets, not just for sporting events, but like concerts and shows and stuff. And also last minute tickets, which really comes in handy. John uses it. He's at whatever bar stool. That's 25 <laughs> minutes before the first pitch at Target Field. He says, all right, pay the tab. Let's start. How walking. do you think I went to the game versus the Tigers? <laughs> That's right. In That's Detroit, right, it yeah. works. Right, yeah. uh, you punch up while you're walking to the ballpark if you want. That's how last minute it can be. You yeah. get the game time app. You go looking for tickets. Super easy. By the time you arrive at the ballpark, you can have the tickets right. uh, on the app and just use them. And if you download the game time app, you create an account and then you use the code Gleeman, you get $20 off your first purchase. So terms apply. But again, create an account on the game time app. That's right. Redeem the code Gleeman for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets. Lowest yeah. price. Yeah. Go grab that app now. Do a little prep, and then you're all set to go for next time you'll need some tickets. Um, so I wrote, we don't necessarily have to go too far into it, but I wrote a big thing about Correa yesterday, just about A, his season-long struggles, B, like tried to really kind of dig down into him and say, is this bad luck? Can we Can we pinpoint two or three things that he's really struggled with that are maybe worrisome for a 28-year-old? And right. then also I tried to figure out, you know, how how often does a 28-year-old who had a 138 OPS plus last year go to a 91 OPS plus this year? How often does that even happen to a 28-year-old, you know, right, right in the middle of their prime? Right. Yeah, that is considered to be like a, the year that is going to be a career year for yes, people, right? Yes, it's shocking. I mean, from 26 to 30 is generally like your, your prime as a player. Right. Um, and so I looked up all that stuff. So I thought a couple of points were probably worth talking about. I know a lot of people have probably read the article, not John though. He no, I've not, no, he's not. boycotting <laughs> my article since 2006. I'll get um, there. I've been busy. I've been traveling. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> what about the previous 400 articles? <laughs> the shockers are when John one day will be like, Hey, I read your article. And I'm like, that's the one for the season, huh? Um, but so here's a few just kind of the nuts and bolts of what I found digging deep into his uh his struggles, which I will say, can we can we definitively say that his uh, confidence level didn't really mean nothing? Are we is that fair to say, John? 
That was in May, by the way. I think it's I think the confidence is getting back up there. Yeah, a more getting time. back up there. About time we have Dan Hayes. I guess that was a Patreon podcast. If people are unaware, <laughs> one of the dumber, longer arguments, and that's saying something for this show, was we had Dan Hayes on the Patreon, who I love. Dan's the, the best. He's a great guest, too. Yes. And he was talking about Carlos Correa. Yes, he was off to a slow start, but he had confidence and he was confident that things were going to turn around. And my point that I tried to make, I made it very poorly, um, was, well, that doesn't really matter to me. It matters to Carlos Correa. But to me, the whether or not he had confidence, I'm not, it doesn't affect the odds I place on him bouncing back necessarily. And we had a way too long argument about that. And then Correa got on a decent stretch and then he slumped again and then he got a decent stretch and then he slumped again. And now here we are in mid-August, you know, three-fourths of the way through the season and he's got a 695 OPS. He's got the worst win probability added on the team. He leads the league in double plays. And again, who cares about his confidence level? I will give him credit, Correa, not Dan. I give Dan no credit for anything. Uh, Much (laughs) like I give you and you no credit for anything. Um and I would only expect you two to not give me credit for anything, too. That's the way it works. <laughs> right, but yeah. I will give Correa credit. I guess I could read the exact quote, but uh, I will read the quote. So we talked to him at the end of the homestand just about his struggles. And here's the one quote that I thought was really good, which here's this is Correa. He said, I've been struggling all year. That's no secret. I'm not going to put my head down and give up and just say, ah, I'll come back next year and I'll do it for the next five years or so. For me, I'm not thinking about I've still got five years to put up numbers. I'm thinking, figure it out right now, put in the work every single day. Well, yeah, exa- that's precisely what you would right. want someone yep. to say. Yep. Uh, and then the other thing he said was, here's another quote, my mentality is just to go out there and figure it out every single day. Keep working and working and finish strong. Then hopefully we make the playoffs and you can go off there and it'll all be worth it. That's yeah. all true. Right. These are yep. all. That's all exactly to, right. right. I think he in crisis. He gives great quotes. I go back to when they booed him at Target Field earlier in the season, and he said basically, "We were like, Do you, are you mad at the fans for booing you?" And he said, "Oh my God, no! I'd be booing myself too if I made this kind of money and I was hitting the way I do." Like he's very good at when push comes to shove, and the situation is bad whether it's a team, whether it's him, whether it's some outside thing, of basically giving you a quote that is very reasonable and logical and shows a, a sense of self-awareness and all that. But the problem at this stage, it's not his work ethic. It's not his his want to. Do you know what I mean? Like uh, I'd actually suggest maybe part of the problem has been his work ethic. Well, the fact right. That maybe he, it's... he is starting all the time at shortstop. He's never taking wow. a break. Uh, you know, He's been dealing with plantar fasciitis on this part. Um, so no, I don't think it's his work ethic is the problem, right? The idea that he's just constantly trying to find numbers and find scouting reports that can help him break out of this slump is an admirable trait trait in general, but that hasn't changed. I mean, that's been the case for his entire career. And so the struggles are within that, but so a couple, just a couple points, uh, you can react to him or whatever, but, um, you know, to me, the, the, the two worrisome most worrisome aspects of it for a 28 year old, especially is he has stopped hitting fastballs, which he has destroyed fastballs. Like most very good players, right? You don't become an all-star in the majors. If you can't hit a fastball, I think first career, he was something like three ten off fastballs. Last season was like three thirty batting average off fastballs this year, two twenty three. Uh, the expected numbers yeah. aren't much better. And then within that, when he swings at a fastball, 
he's swung and missed 14% more often than last year, which is to me, a, seems like a very bad sign uh, for a 28 year old who's still supposed to have bat speed and all that stuff. Um, and then within that, we talked a little bit earlier about the whole lineup in this regard, but he's at the forefront of this is just pitches down the middle, just yeah. either taking them for strikes in a baffling way, it's often right. for strikeouts. And then when he does swing, just hasn't been able to do the damage on him. And, you know, we, we call middle, middle pitches, but baseball savant classifies, you know, middle of the zone pitches as, as meatballs, quote right. unquote. Right. And the league as a whole pounces on a meatball. I mean, that is one of the keys right. to hitting yeah, is right. you stand up there until you get a meatball and then you try right. to hit the crap out of it. Right. And the league as a whole swings at 76% of middle, middle pitches, which are classified as meatballs. Carlos Correa has swung at, I think, 62% of them, which is even 10% below his low issue. Yeah. It suggests norms. he's not recognizing the meatball when right. it's a meatball. Or but. he's so obsessed with trying to get into these favorable counts and to try to grind out these quality at bats that they're starting him off with a first pitch fastball down the middle. And he's just taking it. And often on t- with two strikes, he just seems to be guessing uh, right. and just somebody will throw him a slider down the middle or even a fastball down the middle in the zone. And he'll just take it and go back to the dugout. And it's, 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 it's baffling to me. Also, you know, when he does swing at it, he just hasn't been crushing those pitches that you need to crush really. And right. a lot of them have been hard hit, but double plays. Um, which is part yep. being a yep. right-handed hitter, part being slow, and part hitting the ball hard, yep. but not in the air, which is what you right. need to do to crush him. And then the the other thing is, within the fa- on fastballs, his average exit velocity is down two miles an hour on fastballs, which kind of links to what I'm saying, which is he's swinging through a lot more fastballs this year. He's taking a lot of pitches down the middle for strikes, and then when he gets a fastball and he takes a big hack at it, he's either grounding into a double play or he's just hitting weak fly balls because there isn't the same oomph or the juice uh, behind these. And, you know, could that be just randomness? Could that be bad luck? Could that be a bad stretch? Absolutely. I mean, it could, but it's it could not be, something. I mean, it, it could be a million you, things, right? It could also be right. he's been looking more for breaking balls, or maybe it, maybe right. he got the sense that they were going to give him more breaking balls, or maybe they're giving him more breaking balls in general, and so therefore he's keying on those. And he's a little slow on catching up to the fastball or recognizing the fastball because he's looking for something. Or it could be that he's, you know, tired from playing every day at shortstop. It could be the the plantar fasciitis that we know that he was, you know, on the yeah. IL for is, you know, screwing with his swing a little bit. You know it. it it could be a lot of things. No, it could also be, yeah, he's just, he just got old at 28. Which, that's the worrisome. That's the well, red that's flag the, to me. Right. That's now, the worrisome one. That isn't what a, I would bet on necessarily. Right. Right. Because he but, still looks really good defensively. I do think right. the, the injury component, we often talk about this when there's a, when there's a massive drop off, right. kind of unexplained, very often afterward, you'll find out, oh yeah, this guy was playing through this injury. And we know he's playing through plantar fasciitis. <laughs> right, and so right. maybe that's affected him more than he's let on. Um, maybe the lower back problems that he had early in the season has affected him more than he's let on. Maybe he's just worn down, like we, you said. We, but we know when, once Kyle Farmer went down with that pitch to the face, right? He played every game at shortstop all the way through, right? The right. entire time. Uh, we know soon after that was when we started hearing about the plantar fasciitis. Um, you know, also since that time, like at that point, it has been clear this lineup needs help. You can see where he would be taking that pressure upon himself, yep. both in terms of, I have to be out there playing. I have to be performing. Um, but you know, also just the mental, 
Like I'm trying to lift everybody up. I'm trying to, you know, like team leaders take that crap personally. And the fact that the lineup has been a problem all year and he's, you know, the leader of the, of the hitters at least. Yeah. Right? He's not just uh, that, that might be reflecting on it as well. It's, I, I I don't know if this is a long-term problem. I don't know if this is a short-term problem. I don't know if this is a season-long problem. I don't know if this is something that, you know, a month of downtime would suddenly fix up. I don't know if, uh, if, you know, they clinch the division two weeks early, uh, having a little bit of a break ends up helping him, you know, get refreshed a little bit. I don't know. Maybe I'll be interested to hear what he says about some of that stuff when, when presented yeah. that. I agree with all that that you're saying. I mean, it's worrisome, small picture, big picture, medium picture. Uh, you know, year one of a six-year, $200 million deal for a 28-year-old. We talked about this before, but, like, when you sign, whether it's Donaldson, Correa, Bryce Harper's 13-year deal with the Phillies, teams do not sign these guys to these massive long-term contracts because they think the last few years right. are going to be great value. Right. You sign a Bryce Harper to a 13-year deal, not because you think year 11, 12, and 13 are going to be worth anything. It's because you want the first five, six, seven sure. years, and the only way to get access to that is to buy the other years. And right. even with Correa, even with Josh Donaldson on a four-year deal, for that matter, they right. didn't want year three and year four of Josh Donaldson. Right. They wanted year one and year two of Josh Donaldson. With Correa, you know, year five and six of this thing, when he's 32, 33 years old, and he's making $32 million a year, I don't know that he's going to necessarily be worth that or a whole lot more than that. But they were hoping, you know, by access, that was their only way to get access to the first three years of the deal, when they were hoping he'd be worth $60 million while making $30 million. Well, that all falls apart, that whole premise, when he's, you know, making thirty million and he's been worth ten million. If yeah, that. Right. Um and, and so he, and he's not the first guy like to sign a free agent contract and stink the first year, sure. right? Trey Turner is uh, although it's a little different in Philadelphia, by because the way. he didn't change teams. Right. Yeah, right. Well that well that's true. Right. I mean that's true. But, uh so I mean, within the what I would say are mediocre if you were to remove Carlos Correa's name from the context. He's been roughly an average-ish shortstop. Sure. Good defense, you know, below average OPS for the league, but shortstops don't hit He's not well. killing you, right. Right, except he's been batting in key spots. Right. Like you said, he's the leader of the offense. Right. He's been hitting leadoff or he's been hitting second or he's been hitting cleanup. He's had a tremendous number of base runners on base in his spots. He's come up, I mean, just uh, last night right. or yesterday, yeah. came up with the bases loaded. Yeah. Uh, and or I guess two games ago, came up with the bases loaded and whiffed. Right. Um, yeah. It's not so much that he's been mediocre. That is hurt, obviously. You know, that he's got a 90 OPS instead of a 130 OPS is hurt. Sure. But it's that he's hit like, you know, 140 with two outs and runners in scoring position, or he's right. grounded into the league high 22 double plays, or yeah. just uh, yeah, on, on top of the below average performance, right. or, or at least the average performance for a shortstop, he's been doing it you know, at the top of the lineup and he's been coming up more and more in high leverage spots because of that, you get more high leverage spots when you're surrounded by good hitters. And then on top of that, he has done poorly in high leverage spots yeah, as well. Like legitimately not, really bad right? Uh, in high leverage stretch. And he was last season too, which is so confusing. Yeah. Um, right. You know, for a guy whose reputation was built on, you know, clutchness. And I know that the, uh, the trash can banging is always going to loom over that, but even post that, uh, he was quite good in the playoffs, obviously. And so just to finish on this, I looked up the last 50 seasons 
So going back to 70, mid 70s, basically. All 27 year olds and 28 year olds, guys who had at least 500 plate appearances in both of those seasons. So guys who didn't get hurt, basically, because he's going to end up with 500 plate appearances. Sure. Uh, and I looked up what are the we biggest. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, not by your theory of just shut them down until the playoffs. But, um, I looked up what are the biggest year over year from age 27 to age 28 declines in OPS plus uh, because he's gone from, like I said, last year was right. 138, which, by the way, was the best among all major league shortstops, 138. Uh, and that's post trash can. That's on the twins. That's after right. signing yes. as a free agent. You know, all the all the disclaimers. And he's at 91 right now. Right. So that's a 47 point drop off in OPS plus from age 27 to 28. That is tied for the sixth biggest drop off uh, by a 28 year old in the last 50 years. And that's startling. Now, I will say within that, you know, there's a lot of big names because you got to be good. I was going to say, who are yeah, who are the names around him? I'm trying to figure out when they dropped I mean, off the, for good. Well, right. So that's what I then looked up. What right. happened to these guys at age 29 and then beyond? And so I will say I looked up the, the 10 worst. Uh, you know, he's the 11th. Yeah, he's right in the, the middle. The, right. Okay. <laughs> so the, the 10 worst. And it's like, you know, there's a lot of familiar names. I mean, Chris Davis, Andy Van Slyke, Vernon Wells, Jason Bay, uh, Brooke Jacoby. I mean, some of these are 30 years old or whatever, so people don't know them. But uh, right. Greg Luzinski. Former, okay. uh, former Philly. Um, so here's the the bad news is there's no way to paint that as anything but a negative, obviously. But of the 10 guys who had the biggest drop off prior to Correa, eight of them essentially bounced back to, if not quite the level they were at, pretty damn close. And so on average, those 10 guys lost 53 points of OPS, for OPS plus, excuse right. me, from age 27 to 28. They gained back 30 points the next year. Okay. So, you know, she Gary Sheffield and Chris Davis resume being MVP right. type of guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most of the other guys were, you know, in the 120, 115, 125 range, which would certainly be acceptable for Correa next season or any season, really. There are two guys, Casey McGahee and Larry Sheets, neither of whom are really were at the level of a lot of these guys. Right. And they don't seem like they had one-year right. wonders. <laughs> That's And they were basically Which, which also should be on this list, right? 27-year-olds yes. who are one-year wonders will also yes, be on this list. Definitely. Right? And yeah. so the good news is, and I think this sort of jibes with what I would personally believe from Correa, assuming he's somewhat healthy next year, but I would bet on him whatever he finishes this year with, bouncing back, being closer to the version we've seen prior to this year, than the version we've seen this year. But, you know, if he doesn't get all the way back, then you've got one year, first year of the deal, which is a negative. And then he's maybe a very good player, but not a superstar player for the rest of the deal. They need him to bounce all the way back. Um, and then within that, the stuff we talked about strikeouts and, you know, uh, strike zone judgment and swinging through sure. fastballs. Well, that's all stuff that would be sort of suggest that maybe it's not going to be so easy to bounce back, but potentially. Uh, so, yeah, that's where I don't know if people want more uh, on that. I wrote an article about it on the uh, on the athletic yesterday. But so, yeah, I mean, a lot of the stuff with the lineup that we're talking about would I'm not going to say it would be solved, but it would go a long way towards solving it. If Carlos Correa just started yeah. playing like Carlos Correa. Yeah, I mean, we need a good right handed bat at the top yeah. of the lineup and he's supposed to be the good right handed bat at the top of the lineup. Right. There, yes. I mean, he, he and Buxton. I mean, a lot of the problems with his team are solved that he and Buxton are not necessarily, you know, uh, prime he and Buxton. Just just 
75% of prime heat in Buxton. Right. You know? Agreed. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, I'll, I'll throw Polanco into that mix, too, to some extent. That's true, too. Which is, you know, obviously he's been banged up. and He's not the player that they were, although he's close. Those three guys, they've just gotten nothing from him basically this year. Yeah. And and that we can break down all the lineup stuff we want, but ultimately so much of it comes down to that. Okay. Yeah. So just to finish up a couple other notes here, and then we'll you can go on, on your way in, in the streets of Philadelphia. Giddy up. Get your first cheesesteak of the day or whatever. I think we're going to head to Gennaro's right after Smart. this. Get some hoagies. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. Some hoagies. Get some hoagies. <laughs> they say a hoagie? Yeah. Hoagie. Okay. Water. Yeah. W- w- yeah. Can I have a glass water. of water with my hoagie? <laughs> you have Sorry. a good one. Yeah. Hun. Not a hun. Yeah. You'll go on. And then John, that's when I didn't, not John. Uh, John, is, John is new since when I lived here. Like in the mid nineties, yeah. John was not a thing. It can be anything. It's like calling someone kid yeah, or dude. It's stuff. Or, it's basically yeah. stuff. Yeah. 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 Oh, so, this John, he's a, yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> John is a John. Really, <laughs> yeah, say. exactly. Yeah. Uh, so we talked about the rotation a little bit. I will say we were texting, was it yesterday about Bailey Ober? Oh yeah, we should. Yeah. It's funny that we. We got enough of each other at this point. <laughs> like, why are we texting? We do independently come up with stuff about the, about the same sort of stuff. But I just like, mean, like, get... we're doing six hours a week on recorded uh, shows talking about the <laughs> right. twins. Yeah, and right. yet John's, like, texting me, like, what do you think about Ober? He's kind of, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, I guess we can't help ourselves. But yeah. uh, Bailey Ober, the point John was raising, which is a certainly a decent one which is Bailey Ober struggled a little bit of late after being so consistently solid for the first three months he was up in the majors, right. basically. maybe Basically up until the point where we decided to point out how consistently good he's been. Yeah, you didn't knock on wood that day, so that probably ruined it. <laughs> That's right. Um, yep. uh, as a consistent wood knocker that you are, I was surprised <laughs> that you didn't. Um, but he struggled, and that kind of goes with what I was talking about with the rotation, which is it's great to have a season totals of a very good rotation. But if you get there and two of the guys are hurt or one of them's on fumes, you know, you're not putting out a representation of that rotation, which is a hard right. sentence to say, uh, that is kind of up to the standard that the whole season. And that's the worry with Joe Ryan right now. I would say that's the worry with Ober right now. John's question that you raised, which is one we asked Baldelli about maybe two weeks ago, I think, was, you know, Bailey Ober has, in the grand scheme of things, barely thrown any innings for his whole career. Right. Uh, you know, yeah. he's, he was injured in the minors. He was brought along very carefully the past couple of years, even in the majors. They often limited him in starts, between starts, you know, all that. He passed his career high for total innings because he also threw some to begin the season at AAA like a month ago or three weeks ago, something like that. His career right. high was like 110 innings or something. 109. Like yeah. Okay. And now yep. he's at, I don't know what. 126.2. Is that including triple A? 126.1. Yeah, that's including the triple A. Okay. Uh, and so, you know, there's two ways to to discuss this, which is one is what we're seeing from him where he's he's struggling a little bit of late, a result of him being on fumes just right. from a workload standpoint. Right. And then related to that, but sort of separate from that is, let's say it's not related to that will they then try to limit his workload down the stretch not necessarily right. to get him back on track although that's an option too but to just kind of not 
have him running on fumes at the end of the season, even if you right. don't think that's the reason he's running on fumes now, because now there's only you don't usually you don't usually let somebody who's high in career high in innings have a hundred be a hundred and ten innings in their career pitch 170 innings at any point right. in there that in any season it, there's going to be a step there someplace in between because you're trying to protect that arm especially an arm that you know that's going to be under team control for another three years well, three or four years right that you've been careful with up until this point right obviously. yeah exactly and, so, and especially because the guy's had an injury history which right. mainly over his head so there's 45 games left, but he just started yesterday, so it'll be another four games before he were to start again. Yeah, right. He essentially would have eight starts left. Yeah, you know, eight or nine, yep. yep. They just kept him on a normal, normal-ish rotation. He'd basically have eight starts left. Now, five innings a start, let's say, maybe that's on the low side, but, you know, let's count 40. That would yeah. get him, what did you say, he was at 126? So that would yeah, get him so he'd be one... at 166. Now, he's jumping from 110 to 166. That's not that crazy to me, I don't think. Mm. Um, you know, it's not ideal, obviously, but at some point you got to jump a guy somewhere. Uh, you know, I think going from 110 to 210 would certainly, we could both agree that that's crazy. Well, sure, I that's think, crazy, right. You know, going to one from 110 to 150 or 160 is, is perfectly reasonable. Maybe yeah, they're pushing 150 the is, is reasonable, right. I, I will say, so we asked Baldelli about this a few weeks ago when he was nearing the career high of 110. Right. or 109, whatever you said. And we asked, I forget who asked, but somebody said, like, are you guys planning to shut him down or, you know, skip his starts or, I don't know, option him back to AAA for two weeks or whatever? And Baldelli said at the time, which was maybe late last month, he said, no, we're not going to do any of that. If he can pitch, right. he's going to pitch. Now, what we might do is, you know, if he's at 84 pitches through five, we might not send him out for the sixth as often as we would. Or if there's an off day or two in a week, we might right. use that to to push him to the back of the rotation instead of just keeping him on his normal schedule. And if you do that once or twice, all of a sudden he's at 159 innings instead of 166 innings for the season. Right. And it's less of a concern. But my bigger concern isn't so much with what he ends up with, because I think that's such an inexact science that we don't really know. It's, you know, how do, where's he at right now? Like from a stuff standpoint, from a, you know, getting knocked around by mediocre lineup standpoint. Sure. And I don't know that his stuff really looks any worse. I'd have to dig more into it to me. He, I know he has said after some of these poor outings, including I saw a quote after the one against the Tigers just now, where he's like, I feel great physically. Like I honestly right. feel at my best physically. Now that doesn't mean that's true necessarily, but he, he's pretty consistently said that. And so he's one of these key figures down the stretch here, not only because they're going to need him to win the division, but because three weeks ago we would have been talking about him starting a playoff game, you know, potentially over some other guys. Right. I mean, we actually did just have that conversation. Right. On and now that's like, well, that's out the window now, but the problem is you can only, you can't do that anymore. If Joe Ryan's out the window and Bailey Ober's out the window, there can be no exiting windows anymore. Yeah, uh, otherwise, I will be interested to see what happens if Joe Ryan comes back from this strained groin or whatever in you know, yeah. 15, 20 days, something like that. I don't know exactly. I mean, it could be that strained groin, they're going to take the, you know, cautious four to six week approach or something like that. Well, then, then you're, then you're pressing up against the postseason there. Right. And they're going to want to see something from him at that point. He was throwing on the home stand. I saw him. Okay. Well, right. so I, you don't anticipate 
that sort of a stay. But when he comes back, if Keuchel is, you know, continues to be effective and we'll see starting again tonight, we, we did see his first start this week. Uh, yeah, we, we probably about what we expected, I think, yes. from Dallas Keuchel. A lot of ground balls, no strikeouts, a very <laughs> difficult to uh, analyze, but effective start. But Basically. now he's going to be now he's going to be trying to do it in Phil versus the Philadelphia Phillies lineup. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, they've got some left handers in that lineup. So maybe that's a, not a bad place for him to start. So, yeah, I, mean, uh, I think almost by default now, you you know who your three playoff starters would be. Yeah, if it, certainly if the season, if the playoffs started today, well, now, sure, the order right. of that is yeah. to be determined. But it's going to be Gray, Lopez and Maeda. And yeah, even that so. has, you know, some issues to it, which is. Maeda has been fantastic. I do not want to undersell how great he's been, but do we know how he's <laughs> going to look 50 more innings from now? You right. know what I mean? Um, Sonny Gray has certainly been he's, much He's gotten a fair amount of rest this year. <laughs> well, that's true, but uh, that's I've gotten 20 years of rest. If you ask me to go run <laughs> across right. the street, I couldn't yeah. do it. Um, very similar to Kent Maeda, Aaron Gleeman and Kent Maeda. Right. Um, Gray has certainly not been sharp now for several months. Uh, right. He's had some decent starts of late where yeah. he's really pounded the strike zone and yeah. tried to make he's, adjustments. Yes, he's not walking as many people, right. which I give him credit starts. for. Yes, I but agree. But just in general, think of what we saw from him early in the season and what we've seen from him since, you know, June, let's say. Uh, if anything, I would maybe have the most confidence in my aid just because he's been their best starter for the last, you know, month or whatever. But Lopez. Yeah. Who you think where Lopez was at in May yeah. when he was the one who was struggling, but he's really been you know, not perfect by any means, but he seems to be the strongest at this point other than Maeda. Which is worth pointing out regarding Ober as well. Like every pitcher throughout the six-month season ends up going through some ups and downs. And when they're in their downs, we tend to compare them to the ups that they had previously attained. We're thinking that that was going to last forever. Bailey Ober, as a young pitcher and as somebody who, you know, it, it certainly would, he would not be the first guy come late July, early August to have a little bit of a period where he's less effective because he's not quite as strong, no matter how strong he thinks he's feeling you know, the arm just isn't there. The the only additional ingredient with that with Ober is the fact that, you know, he's already pitched 20 more innings than he's already, right. he's ever pitched before. And that raises the level. Of, I mean, otherwise I'd be, listen, if he had thrown 160 innings uh, two years ago, I'd be like, yeah, he's just going through a little something right now. He's going to have to figure it out or something. We'll, we'll give him some time to bounce back. But the fact that he's already 20 innings over over his previous high and he's still got eight starts left makes it a little worrisome as to what what right. it, it, at the very least, you know, what his role would be in the postseason if they ever get like uh, all those innings are just in the regular season. If well, you're counting it for yeah. postseason stuff, that's another, you know, well, hopefully three, four innings. No, <laughs> we'll I think see. you're right that like, you know, pitchers are allowed to have ups and downs during mm-hmm. a season too. I think the difference is, you know, we treat it, they're like viewed as more like delicate flowers than hitters. You know <laughs> right, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, right. Where with pitchers, there's such injury risk and there's such, you can track velocity and you can track strikeout rate. Whereas with hitters, and when we yeah. talked about with Correa, you can look into it, obviously, but a hitter will have a bad stretch and it's like, yeah, he's probably fine. He says he's healthy. He's probably fine. Just had a bad few weeks. With a pitcher, you rarely hear that. With a pitcher, it's like they've been struggling. Why have they been struggling? Well, it's a little like NFL games versus manager league baseball games, right? You've only got 30 starts as a pitcher. You don't have 160 games yeah. to free your to free, right? You get you go through a five-game stretch of uh, you know, I mean, the truth is is that Bailey Ober has really only had about a bad three-game stretch right now. And and even the yeah. middle one wasn't that bad. 
you know, right. he's, he's had two, he's had two clunkers out of his last three before that six innings, three, three, three runs, you know, that looked sure. fine. Right. Uh, well, but, right. And his is what kind of what I'm saying is like his poor stretch right now is not any different. It's right. probably less bad actually than, than like Lopez's poor mm-hmm. stretch in May. Right. But it's just that Lopez, although he does have some injury issues yeah, in his past right, too, but true too. he threw 200 innings last year and all that stuff. Right. Whereas with Ober, there's more dots to connect if you kind of want to go down that right. path. So it's we'll true. see. I mean, he, I would put him as one of the bigger keys, you know, obviously Correa, huge key. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of them, but I think on the pitching <laughs> side, Ober is a, is a huge key, but, um, and then we can finish, uh, we won't even talk about the bullpen. We'll save that for another day. Okay. Um, <laughs> here's two notes to finish with. Number one, you and I will be squaring off one week from today. Mm. We will just finished actually yeah. at this time. One week from today, Friday, August 18th. What? 830. Is that when they do it? 815. 815 on the Power Trip morning show on KFAN. Download, download that iHeartRadio app. Yeah, you can listen live. Sure, or they do it on YouTube. Unfortunately, we'll be on the camera. <laughs> for that. Um, John and I will be squaring off in the initials tournament, the Invitational. Right. Uh, we are, are two of the five competitors, along with Tom Pelissero, uh, I can't even Elizabeth <laughs> Tommy Reese, Olson, and Tommy Olson. Thank you. Yeah. I haven't been scouting my opponents yet. I'm going to do that <laughs> this week. Uh, and I've already said. I tried to get John to agree to this too, but he's hesitant. So I'll just say it. <laughs> if I lose to John, I'm done with the initials. I will retire from the initials forever. Well, how about if you win? I might also I, retire. You might, might also want to go out on a high note. Yeah. And what if you just don't place either way? Uh, maybe retire. Yeah. <laughs> you, you've uh, cracked the, the code there. So yeah, <laughs> tune into that uh, next Friday at, uh, what'd you say, 8.15 a.m. Yes. They stream it on YouTube and I heart and whatever. Right. Uh, I am expecting neither of us to win realistically. I, oh. you know, yeah. like I, I yeah. think collectively we have, combined, we have less than 50% chance to win is how I would put it. Uh, yeah, I think that's probably accurate. I, I mean, mean, we're two out of five. The, so the truth is, yeah, exactly. The truth is, is that it tends to be kind of a random thing. It, it, sometimes, I mean, certainly there are people who have shown that they have a track record of winning, but it also has enough randomness to it that you don't know exactly going into it how people are going to do. Well, my, I've played twice. Right. The first time I set the all-time record for most points in a debut, mm-hmm. and I won easily. And the second time I scored one point and <laughs> lost in a blowout. To right. John Creasel. Right. Well, that's exactly what you're saying. Complete that's exactly concept. right. Yep. Um, yeah. And then the last thing I just wanted to say is, let's see, three days from now. So uh, Tuesday will be the 12th anniversary of the existence of this podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which on August 15th, yeah. 2011, John and I went to the Park Tavern in St. Louis Park. <laughs> Yeah, and we recorded a show. It was the night. It was that night. Delman Young had just been traded from the Twins to the Tigers, and Jim Tomey had just right. hit his six hundredth career home run for what was a very bad Twins team in twenty eleven. Yeah. Yep. So we we picked a perfect time to start recording. Podcasts. Yes, we did in August of a 
95 plus <laughs> season or whatever it was. But at least um, I, I wonder, though, if there weren't like two big events that day, whether we would have actually done it. Yeah, I don't remember we, if, if, that, I, I, if we had already I, planned to do it or not. I think we had already planned to do it. I think we had planned to do it, but uh, I I looked through the there's an email record of us corresponding about this and we go through it because it took us a long time to kind of not. I remember us taking us quote a long time to figure out the technical piece. The truth is, is that it took me a couple weeks to kind of figure out the technical piece of how to record and stuff. But then ultimately it came down to like, I really wanted to make sure we did it in public and you really wanted to not make sure to have a public. <laughs> and and yeah, I won. think it, got, it took a while to agree to actually do it in public. I wonder if we would have actually done it in public and we didn't have something that we were both excited to talk about with yeah. Delvin Young and Toby. Well, that's remained true. I, I really, uh, <laughs> the tortoise and the hare on that one, we did like 300 <laughs> episodes in public yeah. We now do them all in private. Right. So yeah. I won that one. You eventually won that one. Yeah. I rope adoped yeah. you. I took 300 <laughs> shots. Yeah. Tired you out. Yeah, that's fine. Threw yeah. in COVID in there. It worked I guess out okay. COVID, yeah. COVID really won. I got it. Uh, we, 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 at, at about uh, 600 or, or uh, 650, we're going to switch back. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. yeah that's the way it's going. <laughs> I wish you luck with that. Enjoy the text from Phil Miller about um, us buying me buying him beers uh, this weekend, by the way. Yeah. Uh, that's fine. Another guest. I'm happy to buy it. Of yours too. So yeah, 12th anniversary of the show. It was initially called, John wanted to call it the baseball pitcher. Yeah. Because of t- the double meaning. Did we actually talk about that on the podcast? I can't remember if we just talked about that. Afterwards. Yeah. I think it was neat. I don't remember, but I, as I recall, that idea was pretty much nixed immediately. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, I mean, I don't remember how, how many episodes we were in before we started calling it Gleeman and the Geek. It might've just no. been one. It's a good name though. It worked out okay. You know, relatively, yeah. given the lack of forethought and effort that went into getting on that name. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, it's a good, you know. Given two been, G's. Yeah. You know? It's got alliterative. Yeah, could have been geek in the gleeman. Yeah. We used Maybe. we used the two G's and then we ended up paying two G's the first uh, after <laughs> after the first year for the bar I wish. I wish only two G's. <laughs> How about at the six hundred and fifty episode mark? Maybe we'll flip and you can be the first uh Geek and Gleeman. Oh, maybe. That's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. That would throw people off. Anyway, I just wanted to <laughs> take this uh, opportunity to thank uh, everyone. Thank you too, John, but not really. Um, you get paid, so I don't need to thank <laughs> you. But to thank everyone for uh, for listening. If you're one of the uh, the, pu- the few, the proud, the I don't know how many we had for the first episode. It was a lot more than we expected. I know that. I uh, think it was. It was. I think we got like 3,000 on that first episode. Yeah, and we were hoping for like 200. Right. Yeah. Uh, right. Like I, I honestly thought our like pie in the sky goal was 500. Yeah. Right. Because I remember yeah. saying, yeah, well, if we were on stage somewhere and there were 500 people listening right. in the audience, that would seem like a really big deal. Yeah. Turns out we've also done that now a few times. Uh, <laughs> yes, but, that's right, so, yeah. so if you're uh, someone who, for whatever reason, listened on August, probably 16th, uh, 2011, and have continued to listen, which just seems like like a <laughs> Stockholm syndrome type situation at this <laughs> right, stage. Yes. But thank you. Right. And uh, even if this is your first episode or this you've been listening for X number of episodes, thank you for uh I don't know, I always say thank you for, for turning this into something. Yeah. We we didn't know what it was gonna be. We didn't no. know if it would be three episodes or a thousand episodes. I certainly never would have guessed even this many episodes. We we certainly never expected it to become uh, a thing that could actually be a you know, a, a job or a source of revenue. Right. And that we could expand into 
basically three days a week during the season and have sort of an offshoot, which is patreon.com slash Gleeman, obviously. Uh, and so all of that is, uh, you know, it's because of us. We're being stubborn. We won't stop talking about <laughs> the twins. But really, it's because, you know, there was an actual audience for it, which we were never we were never quite sure of. And I will never I will never cease to be amazed. You know, when I log into our, uh, you know, uh, stat tracking thing right. for the podcast or I go on Patreon and check how many subscribers there are, I, I really I, I'm never not amazed no you know we're like 800 episodes into this thing and i look on a wednesday for the friday episode and it's like oh 12,000 people have listened to this already or i go on patreon and it's like yeah we're up to almost 3,800 subscribers and it's like that if you would have told me that that night at the at the park tavern first of all i would have said what's patreon Uh, (laughs) second of all i'd be like what do you mean we're still doing this in 12 years right and then third, I'd be like, I think you you got to be lying to me. There's no way that, you know, 12, 13, sometimes more thousand Twins fans uh, are listening to these two idiots uh, bicker with each other about the Minnesota Twins. But thank when you. I have people when I have people talk to me a little bit about this podcast, sometimes they'll be like, you know, it's got to blow you away that one of the you know top five podcasts in a baseball podcast in America is about the Twins. Like, it's just about the. Yeah. The twins, right? Like that, that is crazy. You know, are you proud of that? And my answer is, well, yeah, I mean, we're proud of it, but you're missing the bigger point. And that is that there's enough twins fans to support, to be, to make the number one podcast like that. The the amazing part about that stat is the crowd, not the hosts. Right. Right. And and that there's so much passion around twins fan around and around in-depth, you know, an in-depth dissection of, uh, a single team that it can launch it up to the you know levels of national baseball podcasts that are you know corporately funded with big names making big salaries. Uh, that is the amazing part, and that is that is about the this crowd, this community that has developed around this. So thank you so much. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think just to finish, we'll end here. But like we do, even now, hear from media outlets locally who are like, well, we don't really do the twins. Cause like, is there an audience for it? And all this. Right. And I even know when I started at the athletic, my editor, Zach Pierce, who's great. The first time I said to him, Hey, I'd like to do a uh, top 10 <laughs> players. The twins have left unprotected from the rule five draft and the risk they have of losing them. <laughs> and he went, well, who, who's going to read that? <laughs> and I, I literally right. said to him, huh? let me do it once. And one of us is going to be wrong. And the one <laughs> right. who's right can yeah. determine whether it gets written next year also. Oh. And by about 9.30 a.m. the next morning, after it got published, he said, well, I guess you're going to do one of these every year. And that's how <laughs> I think about the podcast. Yeah, that's it. Which is, we hear from people all the time. Some of them are podcasters or radio shows or right. television or whatever. And it's like, yeah, we talk about the twins a little bit, but there just isn't the audience for it. And I, I like to selfishly i would love to think that it's our skill and excellent <laughs> broadcasting but no i mean yeah maybe but probably not i think it's we make a real effort we enjoy doing it right we generally like talking to each other i think john is lessening that i think we i think we believe in the content and we believe yes and very rarely slash maybe never 
are we just saying something to try to get a reaction? And I think not <laughs> taking that approach has yeah. been very helpful from a long-term perspective is like, yeah. we don't slap these crazy headlines on it, or you won't believe what John bonus said on this show <laughs> about whatever, because we're not looking for a quick score. Yeah. We're not looking for a influx on one episode. We're trying to build this thing that we can be relied on to provide a certain type of discussion, a certain type of coverage. And I think, you know, it's been rewarding to be able to say maybe we're a unicorn in this sense, but guess what? We can get 13,000 people to listen to two doofuses banter about the twins for an hour and a half yeah. once a week. And anybody claiming that that's not doable, we know it is. And anybody claiming, you know, that, that interest in the twins is low or, you know, basing it off attendance or whatever it is. And we've heard all of it every season. Why, why do I watch this team? Why do I, whatever for better or worse, you know, we're, we're drawing some, huh. some episodes, 15,000 people to listen to it. And that, hey. that blows my mind. And it makes me feel good. Not from the sense that I think we're amazing or anything. Uh, I don't have nearly the self-esteem uh, to ever say that and really mean it, but from the sense that if you put out a product that you believe in, and you tailor it in a way that you think is valuable or at least would be something that you yourself would be interested in consuming uh, as a listener, it can pay off over the long haul. Now, like you joked about, it took us a while to build something <laughs> where we weren't losing money on it every year, thousands yeah, of dollars in bar tabs and everything. Yep. But I, I, I feel extra good about sitting here 12 years in because of the way we kind of gradually built it and rarely if ever kind of strayed from the you know kind of the 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 goal from the start which right. was we want this to just mostly be now we have guests and stuff once in a while but we mostly want this to just be two guys having a conversation that they might have over a pitcher of beers right. at park tavern on a whatever night yep. and a hot take doesn't do you any good in that context because the person sitting across from you just goes well, that's fuck. That's stupid. What are you talking about? <laughs> right, and the right, hot yeah. take doesn't necessarily do you good in this context either. So I, I thank you guys for uh, proof of proof of concept on that as a as a the a theory for building a podcast. Uh, we uh, should thank our sponsors, uh, Harry's and Rotowire and uh, uh, HelloFresh and Game Time. Game time, right? Uh, I will. Uh, I mean, I, I don't. I'm sure that if you've gotten to the end of this podcast, this event has already already happened. But if you're in Philadelphia going to the game on Saturday, feel free to show up a little bit early at Chickies and Pete's. We're going to be there from three to six. I think we got like 40 people at least <laughs> have already signed up to be there. We're going to have a, a good crowd of Twins fans there celebrating. Uh, you know, playing in Philadelphia for the weekend. Uh, if you see me around the ballpark, make sure to say something. Follow me on Twitter because we all probably going to be doing some post game or pre game. Uh, announcements. Hey, we're going to be so such and such. Check out, uh, you know, some of you, the some of the dive bars around Philadelphia. If you want to try to keep up with uh, Chris, you can be the next person that bonus forces me to buy half of a beer for <laughs> after a game. We have we have actually had a great time in Philadelphia, running into lots of listeners that have nice family come in uh, after the Detroit game yesterday. Uh, a couple of other guys uh, uh, Thursday. I, we, I mean, we've run into so many uh, good. I I will tell you this, Aaron. I was surprised how few Twins fans are at those Tigers games. Yeah, um, I, I I guess I shouldn't be because it was a midweek game in Detroit, and there's no novelty to it. 
They right. play the Tigers a billion times a year for right. every year. We Just saw like a lot in Philly or whatever. It's... Right. It, I am used to going to stadiums where there's more Twins fans. This was probably the least I've seen in terms of Twins fans at a, a away game. And I'm expecting a lot more in Philadelphia, actually. Uh, but we'll see. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe. God love Detroit, but you rarely hear someone go, you know, it'd be a good summer vacation. Let's do a weekend in Detroit. Yeah. Well, I, I will say this. I'm going to go there more. more. I'm going to go there again. Uh, I like a, a good state. It's a good stadium. Uh, it's got a lot of good stuff around it. Uh, you know, bars and places, things to do before and after the game. Uh, good, good pizza. That's Detroit style pizza. I've become a fan of uh, good beers around there. I mean, it's, it, it checks a lot of boxes, you know, in the, in the city, it checks a lot of boxes for me. And I think it's probably, it's edging towards the top 10 of the major league baseball really? stadiums that I've been to. Edging towards it. I'm not sure if it's in it, but I think it's in the hmm. 10 to 15, 11 to 15 range right now. Hmm. Okay. So, yeah. I'm surprised. Uh, I'm surprised I liked it because I kind of, I avoided going there and I kind of didn't want to like it because I loved Tiger Stadium so much. And when Tiger Stadium went away, I was a little bitter. But yeah, Detroit, Detroit works. And the fans there were great. Uh, people we talked to were fantastic. So it's good. Okay. We'll be back Monday. On the Patreon, exclusively for Patreon subscribers. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com slash Gleeman. Yep. New episodes cost you a buck. You get access to all the previous episodes, the entire archive, totally free. And if you sign up now and you ride with us through the end of the season and quote unquote into the playoffs, it might cost you, I don't know, 10 bucks, yeah, 12 right. bucks, something yep. like that total. And you'll, you'll get a full breakdown it. of the uh, bonus experience in Philadelphia watching yes. the Twins if, sweep the Phillies. Playing off what you said a minute ago, <laughs> if you are hearing these words right now that I'm saying, <laughs> I can almost guarantee you, you will enjoy the Patreon mm-hmm. podcast because having made it this far into this podcast tells me you are the type of brain and person that will enjoy hearing more of us speak. So patreon.com slash Lehman. If not, we'll talk to you guys next Friday. Good evening.